The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about credit scores, and we all worry about credit scores because that's how we are evaluated when we want to buy a car or get a loan or a student loan or a mortgage or get, a, you know, an apartment. So it's really important for us to have good credit scores. And I was reading this article from the New York Times, and they quoted this wonderful expert who we actually are going to have on the show, John Alzheimer, who is a credit expert at uh, Credit Sesame, a consumer credit website, and a former Fair Isaac employee, which is the FICO score that we all think about. So let me tell you a little bit about our, our wonderful guest, and then we'll talk to him. Um, first of all, John is a nationally recognized expert on credit reporting and credit scores, and he's the president of the Alzheimer Group and credit expert at creditsesame.com and the credit blogger. He's a credit blogger for mint.com. He used to work at FICO, which is the Fair Isaac Company, and Equifax and credit.com. And he is a credit expert who actually comes from the credit industry. So he has that insight to understand what is going on. He served as a credit expert witness in more than 145 cases, and he's been qualified to testify in both federal and state court on the topic of consumer credit. Interestingly enough, I also do uh, expert testimony on privacy issues that lots of times brings up these issues as well. So that's really fun for me to talk to him. He has over 23 years of experience in the consumer credit industry, and he has been on numerous uh, shows, including CNN, um, CNBC, Fox, CBS Evening News, and Oprah's Oprah and Friends and XM Satellite Radio Show. And he's contributed to CNBC's On the Money and The Millionaire Inside and so many other shows. And he is a frequent commentator on credit-related issues. And and, um, that's actually how I found him because he was quoted in this New York Times article. So it was really fun to get him on our show. So we're thrilled to have you all the way from Atlanta, right? You're in Atlanta? I am in Atlanta. Happy to be here. Yes. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. So... John, I know you worked for Fair Isaac, and I know that they have proprietary information about their algorithms, but can you just give a little bit of an overview like you would at court to my audience, like you would to a jury, a a little bit about how these scores are analyzed? Sure. So credit scoring, think of credit scoring as software. 
Um, and most people think of software, they think of things like operating systems on their computers or their Macs. Um, but FICO develops software that happens to calculate credit scores using information from your credit reports. And the software actually kind of rips apart your credit report into a variety of different categories that are all somewhat predictive of elevated credit risk, things like whether or not you're making your payments on time, how much debt you have, um, how often you shop for credit, how long you've had credit, and the diversity of the different types of accounts on your credit reports. And so all those things tell a story about whether or not you're going to be a responsible borrower or if you're going to be an irresponsible borrower. And essentially it, it, it homogenizes the information on your credit reports into a score and FICO's scores range from 300 to 850, with the higher score obviously being better for the consumer and lower the score obviously being not so good for the consumer. So these scores are purchased billions of times a year by pretty much every financial services company you can imagine. They're also used by insurance companies. They're also used by collection agencies. They're also used by utility companies, all as a way to underwrite and assess risk. And if you're too risky, then a lot of these companies are going to refuse to do business with you. Um, if you are modestly risky, these businesses probably will do business with you, but under punitive terms. And if you are not very risky, they are all going to aggressively pursue you and make very aggressive offers to you because they really want you to be a customer. And that's essentially... You know, at kind of a, at a five thousand foot level, how the credit scoring system works. Right, and for for the people who are listening, when you talk about punitive, that if you have a low credit score, they're going to be punitive. How's that going to come out? It's going to be that you're going to either be denied credit or you're going to have to pay more for credit. Is that right? Yeah, one of two things is going to happen if your scores are too low. A, you can be just flat out denied, which means you're going to get a, and what's referred to as a notice of adverse action or declination letter in the mail soon after you make the application. And it's, the letter is going to disclose to you that you've been denied. It's going to list the credit reporting agency where the data came from and give you some high-level information as to the cause of denial. And, and since 2011, those letters also will include the credit score that the lender used. If you are approved but adversely approved, then you may find yourself with a very low credit limits if it's a credit card application for things like auto loans, you may find yourself you know, paying double-digit double interest rates if it's a subprime type of credit card. You could pay as high as 30% in some cases for the credit card for mortgages, mm -hmm. you know, 6 and 7%, which doesn't sound that high, but the, a, a, a really good credit score today will get you an interest rate on a mortgage for, in some cases, less than 4%. So, so really, it's a matter of, of, of adjusting the terms of the credit loan or the credit product um, to be more in line with the risk that you pose to the lender because they're happy to do business with you as long as you're going to pay them. And if you're risky, then you're going to pay more and that helps to subsidize the risk of them doing business with you. Right, right. Now, let me ask you something. There are uh, the, the three credit bureaus, uh, Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, also have credit scores. And so... Um, what is the difference really between these credit scores and is it, are, are the FICO scores used more often? And, you know, if someone says, oh, well, I have a good TransUnion credit score, is that, is that good enough? Yeah, the, the credit reporting agencies in 2006 created a competing entity to FICO, a company called Vantage Score Solutions. 
And, and the Vantage score since 2006 has really now become the number two player in the credit scoring environment, which really isn't a bad place to be considering the market share that FICO has. FICO almost went unopposed for, for decades and, and enjoys a, a, a truly dominant market share in the credit scoring world as a result. So really today, when we're talking about credit score market share, we're talking FICO Vantage score as having almost 100% of it. So FICO is still the 500-pound gorilla in the room, um, but you do have Vantage score solutions that's been around for about eight years. According to Experian, they have about 1,300 lenders that are using the Vantage score. So it's not, it's not, a, it's a, not an immaterial market share, but it's certainly not the same that FICO has enjoyed. So let me ask you this, John. Are they really that different? So, for example, if my score with, um, and, and I look at my scores often because I have my American Expresso, they give me those scores that are Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. So they're all like really high 700. Sometimes it's depending on the, the day of the month or something. I get, uh, you know, 780 or 760 or, you know, and they might be slightly different among the three. How different are they from the FICO scores? Well, the the model is definitely different. However, what's not different is the information that goes into calculating the score. The, The credit report is still the basis of the credit score, whether it's a FICO score, a Vantage score, or any of the other credit bureau based scoring systems, You've only, and, and, and there are literally hundreds of them, but you only have three credit reports. So it makes it easier to manage a credit report than it is to try to chase around a bunch of scores. But as far as, you know, what's the right score, what's the real score, um, really as long as the score is commercially available and is being used by lender, then it's a completely valid score. It, it may not be a FICO brand or a Vantage score branded score, but at the end of the day, it's still going to tell a story about what kind of risk you are. And and, and if you've got a good credit report, and this is important, if you've got a good credit report, meaning that it's void of derogatory information, you've got your debt under control, you're not out there excessively shopping for credit, and you've had credit for some time, then you're going to have a good credit score across every single credit scoring platform, regardless of whether it's FICO, Vantage Score, or any of the other ones that are floating around out there. And the flip side is actually true as well. If you've got a lousy credit report, then you're going to have a bad credit score regardless of the scoring platform. So they should all be directionally similar, but it's very unlikely that they're all going to be the same because they are, in fact, different formulas, yet they are evaluating the same information and attempting to predict the same thing, whether or not you're going to be a good borrower. Yeah, and you know, I noticed that if I get my, depending on what time of the month, meaning when I've paid my bills, because I can go in and look at, um, I, I monitor my credit, mm-hmm. um, and so if I look at it, I might look at it one day, and it's much higher than another, and it seems to me that after I pay all my bills, you know, that if I pay all my credit cards, then um, it after a certain period of time, it... Uh, it's higher than when I haven't paid them yet. Is yeah, that- and, and that's what m- many consumers overlook is the value and the importance of debt in the score. When, we t- when people think about getting a good credit score, earning a good credit score, the first thing they think of, rightfully so, is, well, I need to make sure I make all my payments on time, which is absolutely true. That's about a third of the points in your score, though, which means that two-thirds of the points in your score have absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you're making your payments on time. Right. Um, and roughly another third of the points in your score is, is going to be driven by the amount of debt that you have. So if you are seeing your scores kind of, you know, kind of like an EKG pop up and go down 
during the month, that's actually pretty expected because of the debt. That's, the debt amount is going to change on your credit reports, especially the credit card debt. You may have one month where it's fairly high, but you pay it in full, so it drops down. And so as those balances go up and down, as your scores are being calculated, it's going to consider the new information, and you will either have a higher score during the month where your debt is lower, and you're going to have a lower score during the part of the month where your debt is actually higher. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's quite maddening, actually, for a <laughs> consumer to try to, to wrangle these things because it, 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 it's, it's really uncontrollable and it's unpredictable, and you really don't know when lenders are going to post payments, when they're going to report to the credit reporting agencies that payments have been made. And so it, it's, it's actually, it's actually a, a good bit of advice to just let, tell consumers to almost just kind of calm down a little bit and not expect or, or suggest that you have this overt amount of power over your credit scores because you really don't. I mean, the best that you can do is to properly manage cre- the credit report and, and really from that point forward, the credit, report, or the credit score almost goes on autopilot and it really takes care of itself as long as you're smart with respect to, to, to managing the debt on your credit cards. That's the number one way you can really trash a score in a short period of time and also affect a positive change in your score in a very short period of time is to pay off or pay down credit card debt. And that, that, can, you know, that is a, a, a 30-day score improvement strategy um, if, you, if you're looking for one. Right. You know, another thing that I, I don't know if you know Evan Hendricks, he's also an expert witness, and um, he wrote, uh, just like you wrote a book, he wrote a book as well, Credit Reports and Credit Scores. And one of the things that he said to us and um, is that if you have more credit cards with high limits, but you only use a small uh, percentage of that, let's say you use 10 or 20% of the total uh, of your credit limit, that that also will show that you're a good risk because you've got a lot of credit available to you. So some people, like I tell my clients, you know, hey, you know, don't just have one credit card or two credit cards. If you have five of them and then you use each one a little bit, it's going to be better for you. Yeah, and would credit, you agree with that? Credit scoring models like to see a large dip- difference between the amount of debt that you have on your credit cards and the credit limits on your credit cards. And, and it's expressed as a percentage. And it's, it's the technical term in the credit scoring world is called revolving utilization. But really, it's the debt-to-limit ratio on your credit cards. And the way you calculate it is you divide the balance on your cards by the limits on your cards. And if you have five or six credit cards that have no balances, but you have one credit card that has a balance, then it's very likely that you're going to have a very low debt-to-limit ratio, and your credit scores are going to reward you as a result. Right. And that's why you hear people almost universally tell you, don't close your credit cards if you're not using them, because that can actually cause your scores to go down, because when you close a card, you remove that unused credit limit from that debt-to-limit calculation, and you could accidentally lower your score by simply doing some, doing something as simple as just as, as just closing a credit card, so it's it's not something you should do, especially when you're right about to apply for a home loan or refinance an existing loan or go out and borrow money to buy a car. Right, right. And if you have fraud on your account and you have to close it, and you, you want to make sure that it says closed due to fraud, and then get another card from that same company, right? Yeah, and and in most cases, and in most cases, if you're payment information has been compromised, either your card has been stolen, 
um, or the, the, the or the digits have been skimmed and someone recreated a card and it's with it, with that information on it. Um, the it's really you're, first off you have almost no liability under the Fair Credit Billing Act, and then right. the four networks don't will not hold you liable for anything even above that. As long as you tell them right away. Well, of course, I mean you have to <laughs> let them know. They don't know that the card's been fraudulently used unless you tell them. Right. Um, the then when you do tell them that it's that the card has been compromised, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to close it because they don't want any further car, uh, charges to be applied to it. Right. The second thing they're going to do, especially if you've got a good credit card issue, is they're probably going to FedEx you a new card because they want to get one in your wallet as soon as possible so you don't skip a beat. Right. So, so yes, it, it's, it's closed, but it's not the same as actually you proactively closing it because you just don't want the card anymore. If it's closed because of fraud, they're going to reissue another one in your name, and you shouldn't skip a beat. Yeah, and that shouldn't affect your credit score either, as long as it you can prove that it was fraud, right? Correct, because yeah. A, they're going to reissue it with the same date opened, which is going to be good for the age of the credit report, and B, right. they're probably going to be reissuing it with the same credit limit. So it's a net zero transaction um, and, and shouldn't have any impact. I mean, you know, if you tell them, no, 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 I don't want the card, I don't want a card anymore, then obviously you're going to lose whatever credit limit you weren't using on that card, and that could have an adverse effect in your scores. Right. Let me ask you this, because I do, I, I'm an attorney and I mediate, and um, I'm always very careful with my clients when I mediate after a divorce, and we always look at the credit reports and make sure that there isn't anything that we don't know about. Now, I usually tell, if 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 one has, if one party, if either the husband or the wife wants that card, Often they won't take the other one off, or if they do, then the other person loses that. So I usually tell them to apply for the same card. If one is taking it, that they apply for the same card. And if they won't take one off, then I tell them to both apply for the same card. Is that good advice, or how would you suggest they do that in a divorce situation? Well, the divorce scenario is, is one where the conventional advice really gets thrown out the window. Um, and, and here's why. If you have joint liabilities, and it's not just credit card, it's auto loan, it's mortgage. If you have joint liabilities and you're going through the process of a divorce, um, even though one party may be assigned payment responsibility, that doesn't supersede the original contract with the lender. So the lender still considers both parties to be liable for the debt, right. even though one party is now the one who's driving the car, or living in the house, or using the credit card. And it, oftentimes you hear these horror stories of people you know, whose ex-spouse either missed payments or maxed out credit cards, and then they're suffering on their credit reports because the item is still being reported to both, both consumers' credit reports. Right. So when you go through the process of divorce, you, you, you really have to limit the possibility of, of continued credit problems. And the one way you do that, unfortunately, is you have to close all your joint accounts. Or you have to pay them off. That's the best thing to do. Well, right, you pay, them, you pay off. them off and you close them, and then obviously, if you want that card, you're going to have to reapply for it in just your name. Right. That right. solves the problem for credit cards, but it doesn't solve the problem for auto loans and mortgages because right. you can't just call the lender and say, "Hey, I just got divorced. I want my name off this loan." Exactly. I, I can tell you that doesn't work. I mean, you're no. going to have to either liquidate the asset or you're going to have to buy it from your ex-spouse, and it's, it's just not an easy way out of it. Right, yep. Well, the only thing that I do in cases like that is I have an indemnification clause that goes in there that if, you know, if the party doesn't pay, that that party will indemnify the other person, and that's in the judgment. Although there was a recent California case about four years ago at, at the state Supreme Court, and I don't think this is in every state, but if you have it in the judgment as who's taking what debt, then, then they, um, 
that person is relieved from it, okay, in terms of any lawsuit afterwards. So that's one thing that I'm very careful to put who's taking what credit cards and who's taking what mortgage. But, but you know, you still may have a problem, but the California Supreme Court has been helpful, at least, for divorcing clients in this state. Yeah, the, and the, the, I've had a lot of divorce cases where I'm an expert on one side or the other, and, and they, they all have these indemnification clauses, and, and they're supposed to protect you from things like fees and such, but they're not terribly specific about the damage caused by credit reporting because it's not really a, a, it's not an economic harm. Right. Having a lower credit score doesn't mean you've been economically harmed. Now, if you can't fund a business because your credit score is poor or you can't get a job because your credit report's polluted with negative information, then obviously you can start making right. an argument about economic damages. But it's just, it's just so much easier just to rip the Band-Aid off and, and look, I mean, you're, you're divorcing your spouse for a reason. You don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. Yeah. And so there's no point in letting joint liabilities persist after the divorce is final. And it's, it's just easier just to, to close the cards, reopen them just in your name, and, and, and you know, sell the car, do, do what you can to kind of really, you know, pinch the hose on those types of accounts. Right. It gets to be a problem when you can't refinance. For example, if you have a home mm-hmm. and there's a low mortgage, then, you know, that's something you do. They ha- that has to be a decision. And hopefully they, you know, they are going to pay that mortgage or they'll sell it or something. And but- you know what, do you want to know what I tell people about this problem? As I tell them not to get into it in the first place. There's really no reason to jointly apply for a credit card. You don't need two incomes to apply for a credit card. Right, you right. also don't need two incomes to apply for an auto loan. And if you do, then I'm, arg- I'm going to argue that you're, you're buying too much car. The only liability where there should be, or the only account where you should have joint liability is a mortgage. And the only way, the only reason you would ever need to have joint liability on a mortgage is if you needed two incomes to qualify for the amount of the loan. But otherwise, there's really nothing, there's no good reason to have joint accounts peppered or, or across your credit report unless you actually needed two incomes to qualify for the loan. And that makes it, look, no one goes into a marriage knowing that they're going to get divorced, but right. look, let's be honest, it happens a lot. And if you don't commingle your liabilities, then it makes that, that process of divorce that much easier because then you're not demingling, if that's even a word, you're not demingling those liabilities. Yeah. It gets a little bit hairy, though, with community property states because if the the deed, if the you know, I mean, you could have a loan with one person's name and the original deed is in one person's name, and then they can quit claim it to the other or do an interspousal transfer deed to both, whatever. But there is some challenges with what the deed says. So it yeah, it's it's uh it's not easy. But you're right. the The best way to go is if you don't commingle, or if you marry someone that. <laughs> You know, you're going to be pretty fair and you're going to pay off this debt, um, which is what we try and do most of the time. But, you know, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, which is very good for consumers, is in this New York Times article, they were talking about credit scores could rise under the new model that really uh, looks at medical bills differently. Because there's an increasing percentage of people with medical insurance who are having difficult paying their medical bills and and so healthcare providers and medical debt collectors are, you know, looking to collect. And um, so tell us a little bit about this change with medical debts. Yeah, so every few years, FICO and Managed Score, FICO will um, re-engineer their credit scoring systems. And think, think of it as, 
you know, Microsoft coming out with a new version of Windows or Apple coming out with a new version of their Mac operating system. And they do it every few years, and it's, it's similar to the prior version, but there's some bells and whistles that make it different and better, and you have the choice as to whether or not you want to buy it or if you just want to continue to use the same version you have been using. Credit scoring software is exactly the same. Every few years, it's redeveloped. It's slightly different. It's a little bit better, but the prior version isn't broken, and lenders can pick and choose which ones they want to use. This newest version of FICO, which FICO is calling FICO 9, um, which will be available either sometime later in 2014 or in early 2015, is, is a, a pretty significant departure from the prior versions of FICO. And the, what's, what's primarily different about it is, it ha- is how it treats a- accounts that went to collections. Um, and a collection is show, shows up on a credit report as a third-party item, not from the credit card issuer, but from the third-party debt collector that they've outsourced it to. Um, in all prior versions of FICO, a collection is a collection is a collection. There's really no difference between the collections, whether it's a medical collection or an apartment lease or utilities or a defaulted credit card. They're all treated the same. In FICO 9, medical collections that are unpaid, meaning that they still have a balance, are going to be discounted, not ignored, but discounted and not, and not treated as harshly as they have been in the past. So that's really good. So let's say you've had great credit and then all of a sudden somebody had a, a disastrous disease, right, or, or cancer or something that has just, you know, mm-hmm. made it very, very hard for them. So it's giving them a little bit of a break, right? Yeah, and, and that's really the argument, right? I mean, that's the anecdotal argument behind what they've done, which is, no one chooses to get into medical debt. No one chooses to be uninsured or underinsured. No one chooses to get cancer. So it's not like an auto loan where you actually do go out and choose to incur that debt. Um, medical debt is something that's really forced upon us involuntarily. And so the question it has always been, is that type of collection really the same as someone defaulting on some other liability that they chose to get into? And up until FICO 9, the answer has been yes, it has it is the same. And with FICO 9, however, um, it, it, it's not being ignored, which means that it still does tell somewhat of a story about credit risk, right. but it's being discounted, which suggests that it doesn't tell the same type of story. And the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, earlier in 2014 published a study where they were very critical uh, about uh, the treatment of medical debts by credit scoring systems, and they said very clearly that they felt that credit scoring systems were treating people too harshly if they had medical-related debts. And so while FICO doesn't, doesn't dance to the CFPB's tune, meaning that they don't make changes in their scoring systems just because the CFPB says to, um, it, certainly, certainly it, it, what they've done is in line with what the CFPB's perspective and attitude is towards medical debts. And have the other credit bureaus done the same? Uh, the three credit bureaus, are they doing the same with Advantage? Is that also changing, do you think? So last March, in March 2013, Vantage Score released their most current version, which was called Vantage Score 3.0. And Vantage Score 3.0 um, doesn't, doesn't discount medical collections necessarily, but what it does do, and which is also what FICO 9 will do, is it completely ignores collections that have a zero balance. So if it's been paid or settled, the minute it's updated on the consumer's credit report to show a zero balance, um, the new FICO and the new Vantage score will now ignore it as if it's not even there. So it actually goes one step further than just discounting it, um, 
so eventually, if you're able to settle the debt yourself or you're able to, to work with your insurance company to get the item eventually paid, which, which does happen. I mean, a lot of collections are caused by insurance filing problems, not necessarily the, a consumer right. who's unwilling to pay. Right. You thought your insurance paid it off. Of course you did. And, and, yeah. you, and, you, and, you, and in many cases, you legitimately expected them to do so because they really were supposed to do so. Right. So eventually when it does get paid, the collection agency updates to, to show a zero balance, and then boom, all of a sudden your score shoots through the roof because now all the new scoring systems are, are ignoring that item. So the, the news is really all good with respect to collection accounts vis-a-vis consumers. Here, and and it, it, it's kind of ironic, but guess who else thinks this is fantastic news? The debt collectors, because now they're able to tell their debtors, hey, look, if you're willing to work with me and settle this account or pay this account, right. it's very likely <laughs> that your scores are going to go up because of how the new scoring systems are treating collections. And they, would, they haven't been able to say that and be honest about it prior to these new scoring systems. That's perfect. And this is a perfect way to end. This is great. That's great news for consumers. And thank you so much for educating my audience about credit scores. And uh, we hope to have you back again. So keep in touch, okay? I appreciate it. And I would be happy to do it again. And just give us your website and then it's time to go. It's creditsesame.com. Perfect. Thank you, John. Terrific job. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. In the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacypiracy, where you can download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and send us emails about what you want to know about privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.